Howdy, everybody. The following is a recorded discussion in a series of discussions we will be having with Chaplain Raymond, our Attorney General for the Republic State of Texas, going over the authority of law, which follows along a book entitled by the same name, written by Charles A. Wiseman. Today's subjects were over what is law and the source of law, which can be found in Chapter 1 of that book. Hope you enjoy. Okay, today we begin a whole new series or a whole new subject. In particular, it's the authority of law, and it's really from a book written by Charles Wiseman, who is one of the sole remaining common law experts that we, that we know of. So we must capture and learn everything that that man has in his head before he goes away because it will be our last chance. Now, Mr. Wiseman is really of the Jewish faith and he is a legal scholar in that faith and he practices it. He practices that law in his, uh, in his work. What we have, though, is the biblical law book the Torah, and that is the one we are bound by. Now, just let me bear, go with me just a little bit. I want to give you a little bit of history, then a little bit of foundation, then we'll go into the, the subject matter. The Bible is treated as a law book. We're not using it for religious doctrine, and we're not using it for... Um, theological training. Basically, the laws were written in the Bible to um, teach people how to treat one another, how to live with one another. You know, like love your neighbor. And that's a much more emotional expression of it. So our laws that are written um, actually reflect all of that. Now, there was another layer of law that most people are not familiar with that preceded the events at Mount Sinai with Moses. And they were events between Mo, uh, Noah and God, and they created a list of laws called Noahide laws. Now, the Noahide laws were there when Noah stepped off of the ark onto the land. Josephus says that Noah was both the governor of the world and the high priest. Religion and the state were combined. And uh, as we've seen down through the years, they got separated. Many keep trying to put it back together. In the case of our country here, we were most successful when we kept them separated in, in governance, but we did not separate them in morals. So the Noahide Law was also passed by our Congress of the administration of... Uh, George Herbert Walker Bush, and made a part of our law form. So 
we have the Bible and the Noahide law. Now, why I'm telling you about the Noahide law is the only court that has jurisdiction of the Noahide is the court called the Beit Din, which is of the Hebrew persuasion. Now, they will take cases not based on religion, but on real events between people, and they will judge them accordingly. It turns out that uh, King James used it for the signing of the Magna Carta. The Viet Dinh was involved in the review and the resolution. All right, that's history. Now, we're, no, we're going to come way past that history when we get into what we're going to talk about here in a minute. But first, let's treat why this is, uh, why it's on the list. The sovereign status that many of you have assumed or taken command of or possession of by changing your political status is uh, one in which now that you're sovereign, you're free. And if you're free, you have to do a lot of things yourself that you used to be able to sit back and hold your hand out and have others do for you. So freedom doesn't mean you have slaves. Freedom means yourself. You are responsible. Now, with that regard, there's certain a minimal set of pieces of information which I feel and others feel are that which each sovereign must master in order to properly protect himself from the many, many, many things that happen in this earth that where people are taking uh, jurisdiction where they should not. Now, we've we're up to four. We have four pillars upon which your sovereignty rests. And those pillars are the things you must know and know when to use them. The first pillar is the maxims of law. Know that they exist. Know that they are the maxim, the maximum, the chiefest of laws. There are no laws superior to maxims. So if you can find a maxim that fits your situation, you're encouraged to use it. Second is in our system is the fact that your candidates come from the same pool of sovereigns that you're in, that you will be electing to office, that it is the oath between you and that candidate when he takes office that is a contract or a compact between the two of you, and you you have to know to invoke it and rely upon it. Third is what we're going to study today, the authority of law. Okay, and we'll, I'll just not comment on it because that's all we're going to talk about here in a minute. There is a fourth pillar that is we call the redress of grievance. That is enough to go to the governments that you have created and you've left room there for you to have a remedy to go in 
and call their attention to something that hasn't been provided for. So it's like the catch-all. All right, let's come back to authority of law. Now, did everybody get a chance to get the pages, first three pages from the from the book? Because I'm going to start out by fairly going fairly um, thoroughly through the words that are there, because almost every sentence in this thing is significant, <laughs> and it represents a, a a picture or a concept that you may have to call on. The first section in the in the book is called "What Is." Here we go. Law is a concept that we are exposed to all of our lives and which affects our lives and the things around us. Law is as essential to a well-ordered universe as it is to a stable and just civil and jural society or a properly kept family unit. That we may, might better understand how law relates to us we need to define what it is or should be. The following is a definition of law from Black's Law Dictionary, second edition. The definition is, one, that which is laid down, ordained, or established. Two, a system of principles and rules of human conduct. Three, the rule of civil conduct. Four, a law is a general rule of human action. And five, a law is a command which obliges a person or persons. So law is basically a rule that guides, directs, or limits the conduct or action of something or someone which is declared by some authority. The physical laws of nature guide, direct, and limit the action of matter and energy. Energy. There, thus, are laws of thermodynamics, electricity, pressure, light, magnetism, gravity, chemistry, and other physical laws. Our concern with law is its application to ourselves as a rule which guides and directs our action or conduct. A set of such laws establishes a jural system or order. The law that regulates human conduct has attributes similar to physical laws. But laws regulating human conduct are distinguished from physical laws in, they, in that they are not self-executing, as are physical laws. Now, I can suggest... Another phrase for this, they are uh, deterministic and prescriptive. Most of the natural laws are deterministic. They will describe what will happen in advance. If you hold an apple out over the floor in your hand, you say, if I let go of this apple, it will hit the floor. However, a prescriptive law is you're going down the highway and here's a sign that says 
55 mile per hour. It cannot enforce it. It's you are the one that are um, has to provide the effort. Such laws usually need an outside force to assure that they are executed. Also, a law which regulates human conduct is not always of effect or enforceable as it is limited or controlled by other laws and conditions. See, some physical laws can control how fast you can go around a corner without causing harm. But there are superior or other laws that are in control. This is a special class of problems where a conflict of laws exists, the superior law prevails. Also, a law for human conduct cannot be enforced before the right of a person to act differently or where the right of a person to act differently exists. Now, if someone has the right to do something, then a law for human conduct not to do it cannot be enforced because the other person will be allowed to do it. When the proper law is enforced or upheld, it is regarded as justice or doing that which is right and just. Law then must have a binding legal force and an appropriate and an appropriate means for its enforcement or execution to be of any use or importance in human affairs. This is because the concept of law implies a command not an opinion or suggestion. Certainly no law would exist or need to exist if there were not those who are required to follow or obey it. Now that sentence, along with the one above where it was talking about someone having a right to act differently exists, I think if you search your maxims, you will find maxims that describe precisely precisely that combination of things. But it's a little slippery here to think it through, but it is absolutely correct. Certainly, no law would exist or need to exist if there were not those who are required to follow or obey it. A law regulating human conduct can be of two types. It can be negative, by prohibiting an act or declaring it that it should not be done, or it can be affirmative by commanding or requiring an action to be done. Now, most law is of a negative nature. Law can also be written or positive, such as a statute or constitution, or it can be unwritten, such as a common law, natural law, or international law. We will find that when we are subject today that are not constitutions or even legislative statutes directly, but a type of unwritten law. 
Let me read, read that. We will find that what we are subject to today are not constitutions or even legislative statutes directly, but a type of unwritten law. If one is obliged or required to obey a law, there must of necessity be an authority for the law to exist. Now we finally got to our subject. If one is obliged or required to obey a law, there must of necessity be an authority for the law to exist. Law, in the sense in which courts speak of it today, does not exist without some definite authority behind it. And that's uh, from a site in the black and white taxi transfer company in 1927. Now, The question we should be asking or looking into regarding all of the oppressive and what appears to be unconstitutional law is what is the authority behind this law? The answer to this primarily depends upon the source of the law and our relationship to that source. So here there's a reference. We're making a reference to essentially that which comes out of the de facto corporation. And we'll address that at some point. But we're saying that in order to understand it and digest it or study it, we need to be able to look for the source of the law and our relationship to that source. So, Here's the second piece of the lesson today. So we have the law needs to have an authority behind it. Now we get into finding what that authority is. We generally understand that all laws which regulate human conduct are either human or divine according to whether they have man or God for their author or source. Under Anglo-Saxon jurisprudence, the law of God has always stood in preeminence in relation to human law. Now, this is not an exercise in religion when we're talking. We are copying, and it has become, in effect, our custom, if nothing else. But what it is saying is, if we throw this piece out, we will lose our dominion. We lose our dominion, we lose our sovereignty. We lose our sovereignty, they can turn us to slaves. So you have your choice. You can either accept this as the path of authority to get to your sovereignty, or you can throw it out and be made a slave. Man's laws are strengthless before God's laws. Consequently, a human law directly contrary to the law of God would be an absolute nullity. This is true in our system. While this proposition is quite true and important, 
it also acknowledges that man is a source of law, not just God. Actually, God has in many instances recognized that this ability or power for human law does exist, as with kings, patriarchs, or heads of a house. For something to be regarded as a law, it must come from a source which has authority to enact the law. Underline that, make it 20 font, put it in a picture frame on the wall. But for something to be regarded as a law, it must come from a source which has authority to enact that law. If a person is required to follow a law of another person or entity, then that person must in some manner or degree be subject to that law-making entity. Thus, the authority for a law depends on the source of the law and the relationship between the source and the one obligated to follow the law. Now let's look at some examples. The prime example of a law-making authority is God. We readily acknowledge that God can enact laws which we are obliged, obligated to follow. But what is his authority to do so? Why are we required to follow the laws of God? Is it because God is all-powerful or all-knowing or because he is eternal? No, it is not. God's authority to place law over us lies not in the fact that he is omnipotent or a supreme being, but rather in our relationship to God. And that relationship lies in the fact that God is our creator and provider. Sir William Blackstone expressed this relationship in his discussion on the nature of laws as follows. And the nature of laws is that if you want to be a lawyer and really work in this area, learning about the nature of laws is a very worthwhile uh, study. But Blackstone said, man, considered as a creature, must necessarily be subject to the laws of his creator, for he is entirely a dependent being. A being independent of any other has no rule or law to pursue, but such as he prescribes to himself. But a state of dependence will inevitably oblige the inferior to take the will of him on whom he depends as the rule of his conduct. And consequently, as man depends absolutely on his maker for everything, it is necessary that he should be in all points conforming to his master's will. Now, let me come back up and read another thing. Read it again. A being independent of any other has no rule or law to pursue, such as one sovereign to another, but such as he prescribes to himself or that they can mutually agree to. 
Now, let me come on further. Continuing. God has the authority to make law we are subject to because we are his creatures and because of our dependence upon him for necessities of life. These things establish a relationship between us and God, making us legally obligated to him. Thus, because of these relationships, God has authority to make laws we must follow. Similar to this is the authority of a parent to make laws which a child must follow. A parent is a law-making authority over a child not because the parent is stronger or bigger or even more intelligent than the child, but because of the relationship between parent and child. The child was produced by the parent and is dependent upon the parent. Thus, when laws come from the source, the child's parent, the child is bound to obey. The parent has authority over the child because of the relationship that exists between them. But that same parent does not have authority to prescribe rules of conduct for another child as no legal relationship exists between them. The superior strength and knowledge of that parent does not give him the right to make law for any other child he thinks need correction, correction but his own. Here's we're continuing our examples. An employer and employee have a legal relationship between them that gives the employer an authority to prescribe certain rules or conduct of laws that the employee must follow. The employer has authority to make such rules, not because he has more wealth and assets than the employee, but because the employee has entered into a legal agreement with that employer. The same is true with the legal relationship between a master and a servant. The servant is legally bound to follow the commands of his master, but not those of another master. Colonel in the authority to make commands or laws that uh, commands or laws that majors, lieutenants, and privates must obey and follow. There is a legal relationship between them since they have each placed themselves under a military code and the articles of war which require them to obey all lawful orders of a superior officer. They have placed themselves under a military code, an agreement. However, a private in the American army is not required to obey the orders of a colonel from the German army, as there is no legal relationship between them. There thus is no authority for a German colonel to give him laws or orders to follow. The king... A king has the authority to give laws and commands 
which his subjects must follow, because of their relationship to the king as subjects of the kingdom. The king has control over the land and also provides protection for the people of his kingdom, creating a legal relationship between him and the subject. Now, we thus, we thus see that there are many valid sources of law. But the authority that is needed for one to obey a law or be subject to a law from a particular source depends upon one's relationship to that source. If there is no legal relationship, there can be no authority for a law. A king cannot make people of another land or kingdom subject to his laws. A general from England cannot give commands to a buck private in the American army because there is no common relationship between him. The president of General Motors has no, I'm sorry, excuse me, has no authority to make rules for an employee of Joe's Auto Body Shop. In each case, there is no legal relationship between the two parties. Also, according to this principle of authority and law, is the fact that true lawful authority is not derived from force or power or wealth, but from a legal relationship between the two parties involved. When laws exist because of force or power, it is despotism or tyranny, not authoritative law or not the rule of law. Many despotic governments have existed throughout history because they were based upon the concept of might makes right. Force and power are not a substitute for a lawful relationship. God could certainly play the despot and compel obedience by force, since he has the power to do so. But that is not the way God works. His authority comes from legal and spiritual relationships between him and his people. Thereby that we end the lesson for today. We'll proceed with legislative and getting into the meat of what we're about tomorrow when we get down to legislation. So, how about questions? You might need to unmute yourself if you have a question. I believe that would be star six also. Hello. Yes. Does the word legal in this paper have a meaning synonymous to a contractual agreement? Yes, more or less, uh-huh. Especially when we're talking about the employer and employee, the, there would be an understanding in the contract of what sort of things. Now, you have these implied 
well, I'm doing things for the employer that he needs done, and he's paying me wages. Well, he, I might go to work tomorrow, and he might send me to do something else than what I was, but if it's still consistent with doing things for him for which he's paying me wages, that's correct. Now, he cannot order you to commit murder. All right? You mm -hmm. cannot you cannot buy one contract for someone to break a known maxim in higher law. The law, the supreme law wins. Or the supremest. We might uh, you might hear me talk about prior covenants. The prior covenant would rule of international law, there's a whole study called conflicts of law because we can have a situation between uh, a contract between people from two different governments. Which law will you apply to the administration of the court in such a contract? Well, over the years, there's been the need for people to say, all right, there, they have they add an extra statement that says the contract usually must have within it a paragraph or section that defines quote the applicable law if I buy something from New York and I'm here in Texas in our contract it will normally say in any dispute the laws of blank will apply Right. And then you mutually agree beforehand. You're saying, okay, we'll go by the laws of New York. And we'll go by the laws of Texas. Now, most major corporations, having a great deal of business and a lot of that transactions, normally always insist you do it in the state where they are because all of their contracts would then come under the same set of rules. And they can handle them a lot better. IBMs are always in New York. Okay, do we have any other questions? Chaplain Raymond, um, to sum up today's lesson, I guess on page three, the top paragraph, it's asking the question, what is the authority behind this law? meaning if it's unconstitutional or not. And the answer to that depends on, upon the source of the law and our relationship to that source. Um, would you consider that to be the summary of this whole lesson today? Oh, yes. Now, when you, you must understand this, that the release things, the source, knowing the source and understanding the relationship in order to deduce and affirm or deny an authority. Because we're going to get in this course where we're going to be talking about denying authority when it don't exist instead of acquiescing. You have to know to say, I am sorry, sir, but that is incorrect. You know, I am, I am questioning your jurisdiction in this matter. 
It go to question. It is acquiescence. Everything yep. is done as if it's a contract in the court. Each pair of sentences. Do you understand, Mr. Rankin? And if you remain silent, you do. If you say, I do not understand, they must wait until you do. We've been all taught not to question authority. And then... <laughs> so that's where uh, this will take some changing. Yes, and though this time we're going to remove it from the realm of the personal. Remember that little memory prompt. If you can keep from acting like a irrational person, like somebody that says, "I don't," I need you to cite your authority. You don't have to know his authority, but he must provide it. Now you must know how to analyze what he provides you and say, no, I have no relationship with that. Okay, well, if there aren't any other questions, um, I guess we'll go ahead and stop the recording for today. Uh, thank you, Chaplain Ray. Yes, sir.